I'm excited to have a conversation today about something that I think probably provokes as much disappointment, as much anxiety, probably steals as much hope as almost any conversation that I've been a part of. And, and that is specifically today, how do we hold on to hope when divided America is our family? I would say when I am feeling like maybe the world could be turning towards the better, or I think that there's a version of the future that feels full of uh, God's heart come manifest in this world, nothing can steal that more than a conversation with a close friend or a close family member who seems to see the world in a completely different way. It's hard to hold on to hope in a more uh, racially integrated, racially just America when you have a conversation with a family member that isn't able to acknowledge the realities of systemic racism. It's hard to hold on to hope about a world that sees and values the LGBTQ community when you talk to a close friend who seems to not see that as something that our country should be fighting for. And I think today, as I want to invite in a moment, uh, my conversation partner for this, I think it's really important that we think about how we keep our hope in those moments where so often it feels stolen. Because how on earth are we going to change the world if I can't change my sister's opinion? How on earth are we going to see a better future if I can't convince my mother? How on earth are we going to see a more just society if my brother doesn't want to hear what I have to say? And so for my conversation partner today, we, we don't enter this as experts that have answers here at all. Um, instead, I thought my the, the conversation partner that seemed like I was super excited to invite into this is because we actually started this conversation a few years back, just started chatting about how on earth do you navigate this? How on earth do you navigate your disappointments? Where, where is the, the ownership and the sense of responsibility to speak out? And then where is those moments where that's not actually doing much? Like, how do you navigate this? And so I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be inviting in Christina Culver for this conversation um, as somebody who has really intentionally spent um, time getting better at navigating these close relationships to ourselves and figuring out how on earth do you raise kids in this kind of world, figuring out how do we relate to people around us. Um, and I think both of us are excited uh, to talk about this just through the work that we've done in the process of figuring out how to do more, but also live a life that does feel thriving and in line with our own values. So uh, I just, I'll, Christina is a, a part of our financial board is also a somebody that just generally, I think, thinks about life and faith in ways that I, I think everyone would be edified for. Um, certainly I have. And so I'm excited to invite Christina in and I'm just going to bring up our, our first point to jump in and, and then I'll pass it to you here, Christina. Um, our first uh, point in talking about how do you hold on hope when your family feels like divided America is that we preserve hope by checking our expectations. Um, I, this is, we, we thought a lot about the passage of Jesus in Matthew 13, of those who have ears, let them hear. How on earth do we hold on to hope when, uh, by checking our expectations? And I think at the heart of this is the idea that if our expectations 
are that we're going to change somebody else's mind. That is what we're looking for in a conversation. We are often going to find it hard to hold on to hope because the realistic, uh, the reality of it is changing other people's minds is so rarely something we are able to do, particularly with those closest to us. Uh, Christina, I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit more uh, kind of your thoughts and, and uh, some of uh, around what does it mean to hold on to hope by checking our expectation in these conversations? Yeah, uh, thank you for the introduction. I'm very happy to be here. And like Kyle said, I am not an expert on this, um, but I have spent a lot of time having conversations and thinking about this. And um, I, it has been a hard lesson for me to understand that if I have the expectation that people will change their mind based on what I tell them, um, that it's just not going to happen. And um, for a long time, I felt like if I wasn't going into a conversation boldly, hold, boldly holding my stance, really fighting the fight um, until we were until they had changed their mind, I wasn't doing my part. Um, but I I don't join confrontation very willingly, <laughs> and so um, what I found was that I wasn't engaging at all, and that's not acceptable either. And so it was. It was me figuring out, I have to look at my audience and adjust accordingly, which is funny to me being a teacher. It's like, I've always done that. You know, I always adjust the material based on who I'm teaching. And yet in such a real world application, I was completely missing it. So um, I had to figure that out and I'm still learning that. But um, I, I really feel like only recently have I had success with that, um, where I went into a situation knowing that the per other person had a very different view um, and I was able to speak from my experience and not feel like I was attacking them or not approaching it like, you're wrong, this is why you're wrong. Um, and I was able to hold on to my integrity, allow them to hold on to their integrity and the next day we had another conversation about a different topic, but it was just as controversial and we did it again. And um, that, that experience really um, gave me hope in that it, it is worth taking the time before I enter a situation to really think about, okay, where are these people and what is my goal? And maybe my goal is simply just to say, I don't, that hasn't been my experience or I don't agree with that. Or I, I, I think I'm going to have to look into that more um, because sometimes that's enough. Sometimes I don't, I just don't want to take the bait of the other person, but I do want to make it clear that I don't agree. And then other times I know that I can engage and I just need to um, adjust maybe how I present it or, you know, keep it. This has been my experience. So um that has been really helpful in understanding that people aren't going to change their minds, but perhaps if I can share my experience, then maybe it will plant a seed for them to just consider. Um, and so that's been helpful in these times. And it's taken me a very long time to learn that, um, but it, it has been helpful to me. I love that, Christina. I think that there's the sense of um, we particularly have this this like feeling of when we're particularly talking about things that feel like matters of justice. Like, mm -hmm. you know, my my goal here is I need to go and convince these people around me to 
uh, come and switch their position. But the, the reality and what research tells us, what uh, our human experience tells us is that new information is usually not the thing that changes people's minds. Uh, and what we need to figure out is, do people really even have ears to hear? I had a mm -hmm. counselor a while ago say to me, um, going into stressful relational conversations, say, what are you looking for in this conversation? Do you think that there's any chance that you'll get that? And, and that was really helpful for me because I realized what I was looking for is for them to change their mind and then agree with me. Or I was looking for somebody to affirm a part of me that I knew that they weren't going to affirm. Or I was looking for something and th this expectation shift of, so what can I get out of this? Like what, what is on the table? And for me to shift, like what are things on the table to make it, uh, I can... I can make it clear where I stand on things. I can um, shift it so that I can be trying to open up space if there is room for conversation and I'm wrong on that. Um, and I think shifting that around, I think for me has really been helpful. And I think uh, it's helped me shift the way I have conversations practically from uh, jumping right in and like delivering my argument on why you're wrong and shifting it more towards phrases of like, you know, I really don't see it that way or wow, I see that differently, or that's really not been my experience. And those things allow me to still say, no, I don't think that's true. And I don't think that that's the case. Um, however, uh, I'm gonna be clear about where I'm at, but I'm I, but realizing like you're not in a place to do that. And the truth is when we carry that stress and we carry that burden, I think you're right on, but it actually usually demotivates us from really doing anything um, because we're expecting family members to do things or friends to do things or the people around us to do things. We're usually almost more easily influenced by strangers at times uh, than our family members in particular. Um, yeah. And I, I think, think that one thing you- I can think absolutely tell me and be like, no, you're not going to be the one to change my mind. Like, you don't know anything, you know? Mm -hmm. they, they also joke, often joke about that, like in, in a marriage that you can, you just can't hear it from your spouse. You have to hear, you can hear the exact same thing, but it can't be from your mother. It can't be from your brother. It has to be right. from somebody else. And then all of a sudden it clicks in. Um, you know, one thing you and I talked about this too, in our expectations is how our expectations shift depending on who is present, uh, depending mm -hmm. on the power and the privilege of those mm -hmm. uh, that are part of the conversation. I, I'm just curious, would you mind just kind of bring this in a little bit more about what does it mean to change our expectations? Like you and I both own the privileged part of our experience, um, mm -hmm. me, me being a white man, you being a white woman, how we can enter into conversations and the stakes of them are different because mm -hmm. of the way that it impacts us. Um, but both of us had talked earlier about the need to shift those things depending on who is present or what the context of that is. I'm just curious if you might speak to that for a moment. Mm -hmm. I definitely know that I'm speaking from a place of privilege and I understand that I get to pick my battles. Um, and I also understand that when I um, shift expectations to protect myself, um, that's privilege. Um, that there are people who don't have that privilege right off the bat because their skin is a different color or you know, whatever the difference may be. Um, so I, I know that. Um, and part of part of adjusting um, how I approach conversations is for this it's it's I guess <laughs> I'm not doing this I'm very I'm not doing a very good job of saying this but um, one thing that I feel like I've had to engage in is that if the other person is 
doing harm, regardless, regardless of the other, the person at the receiving end of that is present, then that's a, that's a new, like a new boundary that I have to draw of, I, I am going to say something. Mm-hmm. And even if it is not, it, it, at that point, it's not about changing the other person's mind. It's purely about keeping the integrity of the, of the marginalized party in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that case, you know, I, it's, it's just about, in that case, I don't want to engage. We clearly see things differently, but I cannot leave thinking with you thinking that I agree. And I also can't leave with you thinking that what you're saying is okay. So it's not just like a, hmm, I see that differently. It ha- it's bigger, um, which is hard. It, it's very hard for me. But what I have found is that if I leave a situation where I have not kept my integrity or someone else's integrity, um, then that ick sticks with me for a long time, way longer than if I had just had that interaction and huffed about it afterwards and moved on. Mm-hmm. It, it really sticks with me if I don't, and, I, and I'm, not, I don't, I'm, I'm not good at this, you know, like I really struggle with finding the words to say like, hey, I'm gonna stop you there. But mm-hmm. even if it's in this really fumbled, you know, teary way, it, it, it has to be something or it just, the disappointment and regret sticks with me for way too long. So I've just found that that boundary is, is a hard boundary of look, we're, I'm going to say something and then stop. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that, I mean, that's uh, incredibly important. It's one thing to be sitting with your aunt at Thanksgiving and having them say something that is a sexist, homophobic, racist, uh, uh, xenophobic, and for you to say, you know, I really don't see it that way. It's another thing if they are being homophobic and there is somebody that is in that space yeah. or you yourself are part of the LGBT community because it is that you're, we've, we're already saying like the ability for you to change their mind is not what is happening here. It's about making sure that we are not giving space for anybody yeah. to steal honor and value from other people. And so I think when we talk about these conversations, our expectations do have to be influenced by our level of power and privilege and the level of the power and privilege of people around. Because if, if you are uh, making it clear that you disagree, that is one thing, but you need to actually turn your attention to be protecting and advocating for yourself if you're part of that community and then also protecting those around those. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, as Vince says, if there's someone actually hurt by the words of the moment, you have to center the person that mm-hmm. is being hurt in that space. Um, and I think this is a perfect transition for us. Part of this is shifting our expectations. And I think that we will lose our hope for the world if our hope is that the people around us will magically change their perspective. We have to figure out how to navigate a broken world where that is not the case. That is, and that, that is an important first step. But the second step that we talked about is that we preserve our hope by creating boundaries for ourselves. It's not just that I expect that my aunt might say something or my brother might say something or somebody around may say something and I need to figure out, you know, to expect what I'm looking for in that conversation. I need to create boundaries for what feels good and safe to me. I mean, I think about when Jesus uh, was doing ministry and his brothers and mother came to him and he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? There's a sense of those that are closest to us often can inflict the most damage 
advantage to us and that we that we love them and that can be a wonderful thing but there's also deeply important for us to create some boundaries i'm curious for you uh can you just tell us a little bit more about kind of what you your thoughts about navigating this conversation and creating boundaries for it mm-hmm. sure and I, I feel like I've kind of pulled pulled in boundaries already. Um, and I and again I say this from a place of privilege. I, I understand that you know I I'm a white woman. I am married to a man with three kids. You know I, um, growing up Christian. Like I there's a lot of privilege in my life. So I know that I I draw these boundaries from that place. Um, but for boundaries have always been hard for me because boundaries to me have always equaled conflict and I don't seek out conflict. Um, I, I just, you know, it's uncomfortable and I I don't like to be in that space. However, as I've grown up and especially with kids, you know, I've had to learn how to draw boundaries. And especially as my kids are getting older and they're hearing things and they're seeing things. And if I'm saying one thing and doing another, like, I don't like that. Um, And so I have, you know, going along with what we talked about before about this expectation that you're going to change people's minds. I also have to draw boundaries of, um, that allow my, me and my family to stay safe and healthy. But again, the idea of keeping my integrity and, um, and so one of the boundaries that I've had to learn to draw is if I'm around people, you know, who disagree with me and I adjust who I am how is that going to feel when I leave the situation? And it is as simple as, you know, like if I go home and I take my water bottle that has like my, my love is love is love sticker on it. Is that going to, you know, start a conversation that I want to avoid? Am I going to leave that here? Um, Mm -hmm. If people not now, but when people were visiting our house and we have all these different books, you know, we have um, the, my two mommies or, uh, a book all about racism or a book all about disabilities or all, you know, all these different books that we've intentionally brought into our home, or is that going to make someone uncomfortable? Do I set, do I put those in the closet? And what I have figured out is that yes, that might be easier in the meantime, in that moment, but the feeling of regret that comes after is way worse than just if I stood up for what I believed in, even if it doesn't engage in a conversation, I know that they're going to be thinking things, right? It's like, so I have just had to um, draw a boundary that says, this is who I am. I can only be responsible for who I am. And I know that if I don't keep moving forward with who I am and change who I am for you, I am not holding a boundary. And, and so that is what I've had to learn to draw. And, um, and it's, it's not easy. Um, but again, I say that from privilege, like I'm talking about a sticker on a water bottle, not like, yeah. Hey, this is my wife. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like my, my, the, the boundaries that I have to draw are very different. And I understand that, but I also mm-hmm. understand that if I choose the easy route and not draw those boundaries and not hold them, then I am being silent and that's not acceptable. So what I have had to learn is where am I going to draw the boundary that keeps my integrity and also keeps the integrity of the people, the things that I believe, including the people involved in those issues and being okay with however the other person reacts. I am not responsible for their reaction. I'm responsible for my action and how I react to them and engage in them. But I'm going to draw this line and say, this is who I am. Um, because 
And that's hard. I have, you know, like I said, I don't engage in conflict willingly. So, um, but again, being a parent and having kids and kids watching and man, those eyes, they're constantly seeing everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't want to be a hypocrite and um, boundaries have been a huge part of not being one, I think for us, for me. The thing I love so much about that, Christina, is, you know, it's incredible. It's not an easy part to say I'm laying, I'm, I'm going to lay boundaries about what part of myself I'm going to like not get into. Like, you know, there's certain family members like, I'm going to lay a boundary. We're not going to talk about that because you are not a safe person to talk yeah. about that with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's people that I know that they'll, if they do something that hurts me, uh, I have learned over time bringing that hurt to them is actually not a safe thing. Like I, if I bring that hurt to them, they are not, it goes back to, and the thing is it's like the building blocks of what are your expectations? Mm-hmm. And then based off that, you build your boundaries. My expectation is that you're gonna apologize and acknowledge that you did something really hurtful. There's some people in my life, that's just not on the table. Like yeah. you're not gonna do that. And so I'm no longer gonna go to you for forgiveness. I'm no longer yeah. gonna go to you to make it okay. Cause I know if I do that, and I think boundaries are protecting your, your personal honor your emotional health, your physical health, and your mental health. It, it, those are the things about, it. it's protecting who you are. And, but the piece I think you laid in there that I think is incredibly important and easy to miss is boundaries are also protecting your identity. Like I am not going to hide who I am, that it is actually a, a boundary violating thing for me to feel like I need to hide my books about my two mommies. It is a boundary uh, violating thing, particularly for those of us that p- parts of our identities are in this marginalization. That there's a, like, I, I, it's not only that my boundary is I'm gonna protect myself because you you are likely gonna hurt me, but I'm also gonna protect my identity. And I that means that I'm not gonna hide who I am. I'm not gonna hide this part of me. And I'm gonna let this be here and realize that I need to do that and recognize that that is gonna impact how other people interact with us because it's it, it is going to change what's happening and the thing about boundaries is it, it shifts it away from managing other people's expectations managing other people's actions and really being intentional and in managing ourselves so asking mm-hmm. the question is how do I stay safe in this relationship how do I stay safe in this situation and the stakes of that go from uh, you know what? It is really damaging to my heart to hear to hear that person say that again. Two, it is damaging to me in particular, like as a human, to be in a space. And I also think our boundaries shift again with those around us. That my boundaries for protecting myself don't end with myself. We're protecting right. all those around us too. So if I'm in a space, my boundaries need to then extend to I am not going to accept you. Uh, doing it. I'm going to protect the, those around me as well, particularly if we are talking about issues of justice. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, it's a really difficult balance in doing that. And, you know, and I'm curious for you, you, you talked a little bit about how you felt a sense of freedom in these, in this space. Uh, I think boundaries are really hard and I think they're important because they protect us, but there's, there is that sense of like the hardness of keeping a boundary and feeling the tension in the relationship versus the hardness of not keeping a boundary and maybe maintaining peace in the relationship but the internal recognition that I let that boundary be violated. Could, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what that internal shift from when that when it's hard relationally versus when it's hard internally because you let your boundaries get stepped over. Yeah, um, well, the internal is just, 
there was one situation that happened months ago and I, it still sits with me as if it was yesterday. And I have talked through it. I, I understand I have forgiven myself for it, but it, that internal conflict of when you don't stand up for your, your integrity or keep things safe is just, it's just this really awful thing. Right. And then you have the relationship side of I have found the relationship part. I'm pretty lucky in that the people in my life who oppose, have opposing views, there is enough love to say, you know what, let's just, let's just stop there. And let's just, you know, so I am extremely fortunate for that. Um, So I can have these conversations and I can draw boundaries and say, you know, we're just, we're going to stop there. or I'm going to stop there. If you want to keep saying what you want to say, you know, understand that I'm, I'm not engaging. Um, but for me, the, the internal conflict of not holding a boundary has been, has far been, been far worse than any engagement I have had. Um, and again, I think that's privilege. I think that I, I think my battles are different. Um, but it's been hard. And I, I will say this, that, um, a big, big motivator for me to continue drawing boundaries and interconflict, even though it's hard, is my children in that we don't know who our children are going to grow up to be. I have no idea who my daughters will marry, who they'll fall in love with, who their best friends will be. And if I don't truly create a home where I, I say all these things and then I, and then I have to actually be that embody that then they'll never trust that they can come home and be safe they'll never trust that they can come home and say mom i love this girl and like and truly know that i will accept them so if i am not drawing those boundaries now with people who are who also love them then i just don't think that they'll ever be able to come home and feel safe and that is just that is too much for me to think that i could ever create that so when things are hard and I'm like, oh, this really is terrible, like terribly uncomfortable, like they are my motivation to keep engaging and drawing these boundaries because they're just too important not to, you know, so. Such well said, Christina. I, I, I just, I'd love that. Um, I'd love to bring in Allison too. Is there anything in the chat that you feel is either a theme or something people are saying there that kind of uh, can add into the conversation? Um. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on about boundaries. Um, and yeah, so Christina, just want to say you are not alone in feeling like it's difficult to establish boundaries. Um, a lot of us feel that way. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like I could just read this whole chat. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff. Um, there is something that Rebecca said that I really liked that I'm trying to find um, and something that Beth said to um okay so beth said um about creating boundaries and letting go of the worry of offending because something Mm. common that's been coming up is um resonating with that idea that boundaries can mean conflict um and being afraid that you're going to offend that other person um so i really appreciated what beth said about letting go of that worry of offending still maintaining respect yeah Uh, you can't control what that other person is offended by um, and then, um, I, like, I just feel like what everything Rebecca says, I'm like, yes, please. Um, so, <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot there, Rebecca. Um, but even, um, Rebecca saying something about, um, like it's on that other person 
to adjust to the truth of who, especially if you're being a, mar a marginalized person, it's on that other person to adjust to that truth. Um, and I just think that there's just so much strength in that, like so much resilience and standing there and, you know, knowing it's on that other person. Um, yeah, a lot of people saying, you know, that it's something they work on, you know, mentors are helping, but resonating with that idea that it's really hard when it's family. Um, mm -hmm. And also just saying to some, there's been some comments too, like on Christina, on your last point of like having that boundary that your, your children see so that they can feel safe, like no matter what happens in their future, that they could come to you and feel safe. Um, as someone who doesn't have children, I've never really thought about it from that perspective mm. before. And that's just beautiful um, mm. and so important. So, and yeah, I think maybe, maybe does that, does it help you? Does it give you like more confidence to do that when you think about your daughters, like looking to you and seeing that, that model? Yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't for them, I think I would be in a very different place. Um, I've always been a socially, socially minded person, but it, it's very easy to kind of like shrink away from things. And with kids, I mean, you know, from being in a classroom, like you're, they're watching for your consistency, they're watching. Right. And so it's the same in, in a family where, you know, they're, they're watching how you approach people. They're watching how kind or not kind you are to someone, especially if, if I'm reading this book and I'm like, Oh, look, they have different skin than we do. And, you know, and discussing all of that. And then if I go in out and I, I engage in some, with someone who's of a different skin color and I'm not kind, like what in the world, like mm -hmm. what, what, a, what a conflicting message. So yes, 100% have they given me the motivation to be braver and um, continue this work. I deeply resonate with that. And I, I think if we all somehow lived our lives a little bit more through the lens of those that we influence, I think, mm -hmm. I wonder how that would shape things a little bit differently for us than rather than just ourselves. Um, before we move to our last point, you know, there's one piece here that we talked about a little bit, Christina, and I'll just speak a little autobiographically. So when I don't set good boundaries, I tend to just block people out. You know, we talked a little bit about cancel culture when we were talking on the phone. Yeah. And to me, the only ability I've been able to find is to maintain relationship with people that I love who think differently than me is to create really good boundaries for myself and create and, and be honest about those expectations. And in times in my life when I haven't done that, I tend to just block that person out entirely because I can't, I, you just, I can't even deal. I'm, you're, you're out of my life. Opposed mm -hmm. to when I've learned how to create boundaries and expectations mm -hmm. to say, we can talk about holiday recipes. We can do that. You're not allowed to come around to me when my kids are around. That, that's just not on the table anymore. Um, however, you and I can, in this boundary with these expectations, we can figure out, particularly with people that are like family and we're trying to figure out how to stay in life. I'm just curious, you know, just your take a little bit about uh, this specific, this balance of standing up for justice, standing up with, for right, but also this human proclivity just to cancel people in general. I, I wonder if you could just speak a little bit about that before we move into our last point. Yeah, sure. Um, so, like I said before, like, I felt like I had to go into conversations like you will understand and you are wrong. And I'm going to, you know, like, I'm going to stand up for this until you get it. Or I would cancel you. And um, I was lucky enough to hear a conversation and by Emmanuel Acho, um, the author of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man about cancel culture. And 
I, I hadn't thought of it this way, but here I am expecting people with opposing views to come to this table and hear everything that I have to say and then agree with me. And I don't have to adjust myself at all. And so that was a lesson in like, if I want them to hear me and to um, be open to my ideas, I have to be, I have to hear them and be open to their ideas as well. And I don't have to agree with them and I can, you know, state my point, but to say like, I, I do think there are people out there who do harm and it, you draw a line and we're done. Like, I'm going to avoid you. I'm going like, you are not safe. But I think the majority of people, fortunately for me in our life are not that way. And so um, I, again, have just tried to adjust my um, expectations and my approach so that it doesn't become a cancel thing. And I've had to learn that there is a, a spot in the middle of being silent and canceling someone. And that gray area is something that I'm trying to figure out. And with it comes boundaries. And um, it, one thing that I have learned in just the past few months is that I really wish I could find someone who was very who was on the opposite side. And I could say, I really just want to learn from you. And I, I am not here coming from a place of judgment. I just want to understand. And I wish I could start more conversations that way, because it's like, I, I just don't understand where you're coming from. So can you like, tell me, so if I could, if I could start conversations and disarm them and let help them let their guard down. Cause that's what happens with me. Like right now I feel like my guard is up and it's like, I'm just talking with you. And then this community I feel like is like, you know, sees things the way I see. And it's like, if I could, anyway, I think I'm going off topic here. I just feel like if I can disarm myself and put my wall down and somehow start the conversation very quickly with the other person, like, I'm so curious what you thought, what your thoughts are on this. Or I'm so, could you explain to me like, where you're coming from here, or, you know, just put it on them to explain, then maybe that would help. Mm -hmm. But I, I really feel like um, cancel culture. I used to think that was appropriate. Like you have to cancel people because that's how you take a stand. And this conversation that I watched was really like, we're never going to get anywhere if we continue canceling people. And so that was really helpful to me to mm -hmm. hear, um, and to see, and I, like I said, I do think people can cause enough harm to be like, you're done mm -hmm. in well, certain situations, but you know, um, this is, this has been an interesting dance for me, Christina, as a white man working in a field that is, is addressing educational equity with a team around me where I am the only one that holds the privilege of both being, uh, of being an educated white man. Yeah. And there are, my boundaries are different because the way that my identity is at stake, the way that my personal trauma is lived out is different. Mm -hmm. And that, so I am able to stick in conversations longer with people who I think that their viewpoint is incredibly damaging. I think their viewpoint is not only harmful to the people around us, but perpetuating a brokenness of our society that I believe Jesus is pushing against. But my boundaries can be slightly different because my personal trauma and my identity are not at stake. Mm -hmm. However, I have seen wise people around me who have, I, so I've seen women that I work with that I respect a lot realize that this man is just not honoring. He, he's not willing to listen to me. He, he needs to hear this from a man. And that just being like in a deeply broken thing, but them having to develop a boundary of like, I'm not gonna go there because if I keep going there, this is gonna damage me. 
and I've seen my friends of color that have had the exact same conversation. I'm not willing to do that. And so I think that we have to think about our boundaries. And I think power and privilege is deeply interwoven with where our boundaries need to live. And I think that there is ownership over those of us that have privilege to make sure that we're figuring out how to do this intentionally and do this well. And then there's also a great importance for all of us to create boundaries, because if not, then we are we are going to be paralyzed in affecting change in this world, which I think brings us to our last point here, which is in the midst of having our families feel like divided America, we preserve hope by celebrating and noticing the impact we do have. Mm-hmm. It is so easy. I can still remember a conversation from when I was 16 years old that went poorly where I wasn't able to convince somebody of something and it went terrible. And it's so easy for us to forget that we do have impact. We do have the ability to make change. And I think it's so super important that we celebrate those things. I'm curious if, uh, and I think especially not to lose hope, to hold on to hope, we need to celebrate. There's a correlation between thankfulness and hope. Thankfulness for the past breeds hope for the future. I'm curious, could you tell me just a little bit for you on this kind of third piece of maintaining hope? what that looks like, or your experience and thoughts around how we make sure that we celebrate the impact we do have for those that do have ears to hear. Yeah, I think, um, I think I've seen hope um, with my kids. Um, You know, I, a very, very small example, would be when they're coloring and they, you know, when I was growing up, skin color was peach. And I would say, oh, skin color, peach crayon, you know? Um, and they, they pick up the brown color and they color skin brown. They pick up the, um, you know, the different colors of different skin and they don't say skin, oh, I need the peach for this one or I need the brown for this one. And I, when I was growing up, it wouldn't have occurred to me to pick a different color. Um, when they're, when they're playing Barbies or dolls or whatever, and two girls are in a relationship. That wouldn't occur to me when I was little. I don't even think that would have been allowed, like allowed. Um, but just, just the fact that they're allowed to pursue things and ask questions, like I think that just really gives me hope um, that once they leave our home, that hopefully they have a little bit more awareness than I did growing up. Um, that they really will be more inclusive than exclusive. Um, I get hope from having conversations about um, how my dad was raised in a very prejudiced area. And at 82, he's reading books about how to be anti-racist and he's unlearning and learning. And that's amazing. Um, My mom is reading books about people's experiences, her changing her heart because they're very different than hers, um, her story. And it just gives me hope that um, people who have lived their lives truly for a a long time in one way, and then they're allowing other people's experiences in and it's changing their hearts and it's changing my heart to see that experience. So those things give me hope. Um, And I do think it's really easy to get down and, um, but, but those little moments are like, oh, this intentionality is, is making a difference. These conversations are making a difference. These, these, specific, really thoughtful decisions are making a difference. And so that, that gives me hope and it gives me hope to, 
um, keep, not that it would ever be a choice to not do it, you know? And again, that comes from a privilege to think that I can like shut a blind eye. Like, that's not what I mean. I just mean, um, it, 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 I guess I want to say that it just gives me hope that it's making a difference. We would be doing this work regardless, but to see that maybe it's making a difference is um, helpful and gives hope to me. Absolutely. And I think, you know, those negative experiences always stick with us longer than the positive ones. And, you know, for me, having experiences with my kids and recognizing, you know, probably top three favorite quotes of all time is still Martin Luther King's, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice and, and believing that to be true. And um, I think the reason why it's so important to take those moments and say, you know, it is different for my kids today than it was. It is different. It is not, it's not fixed. It is not okay. We, we are not arrived no. <laughs> in any way, shape or form. But, we, but it is not where it was in 1960. It is not where it was in 1940. It is not where it was in 1880. It is not where it was when I was a kid. That we have a society, there, there is a belief to me that we are in the big picture bending towards justice. And I think the reason why this is important is, is, is because if we don't celebrate those small things, it is hard to imagine an even better future. If we don't stop like the Israelites did and recognize and celebrate that God delivered them from Moses, it's hard to hold on to hope in the midst of the Babylonian empire. You know, and I think about for me, the, the times that I have had friends that had very, very, what I believe to be destructive ideologies um, around poverty, about people who were poor, who stayed poor on themselves. And over time, we're able to have conversations to challenge them. You know, I think one close friend of mine in particular that over a year and a half, we're finally able to get to a place of recognizing that there was more, that there were things at a play that had nothing to do with effort and it had everything to do with an unjust society. And for them to be like, you know what, I think we agree on that. And like to take a moment just to say, that is awesome. Like those moments when you do get to have that happen or for those of us in education, those moments that we get to communicate to kids, the a value and aversion of our society that I, I think that, you know, if you, if we were to listen to like a bunch of second grade teachers in general, and then we lived out how they taught us, we'd probably have a better society. Like, you know, I think there's a sense of like the care and love we have for each other. And I think that to me, these really do feel like the three building blocks for how do you keep hope? It is you are, you're building clear expectations. This takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort to say, what can I expect? Some honesty, what can I expect out of this person? Is that realistic? And then a boundary to say, what, what is okay for me? Like what, what is damaging to my physical, emotional, mental identity? and creating intentional boundaries around that. And then figuring out where are those moments where I do see people shifting. I do see change. I do see a progression, you know, things like, you know, it does bring me hope that, you know, every house candidate that ran on a Medicaid for Medicare for all platform won. Like that's the thing to me, like those small things help me feel hope because we need to do things that are fueling our hope because, or else the world will steal it. And when we have no hope, we cannot bring about change. When we have no hope, we cannot find healing. When we have no hope, we can't imagine a better version of the future. We can't imagine what a kingdom come on this earth is. Um, just before we wrap up here, I just wonder if you have any kind of, any, any closing thoughts for us, Christina, um, and, and then we'll just take a moment to, to pray together. 
Um, just the drawing boundaries and setting expectations and living a life that keeps and keeps you safe and healthy and, and your with your integrity intact is um, can be really hard. And I I am so fortunate to have the family that I do, and yet I still feel like the black sheep often. And I I know, and I've said this a few times, and I know that I could say that from a place of privilege. And so I, I want to say that I, for people who are in different positions, who are having to have bigger battles and have harder conversations and have, you know, draw boundaries to protect their humanity. Um, while I, I, I don't understand that I, I am with those people and I hope that my intentional choices are leading my children to be more compassionate to when, you know, they're creating a kinder world to where maybe those conversations for other people who are growing up will be less hard and that you, that there are allies. And I, um, so, so while I stand from a place of privilege, I understand what that means and that I hope that um, all these little steps make a difference and that um, your stories and you are heard. Thank you so much, Christina. I just feel like a wealth of wisdom and comfort in, in all of your words. And thank you so much. Thank you, Allison, as well, for helping loop in the chat and everyone that added to that. Um, just, this is really hard, really hard. Um, when we, we have, this isn't going away. As long as we have a country that is taking their information from different places the ability for us to live in a place where we're not just having to navigate things that feel corrosive to our soul is part of life. And it's absolutely essential we find hope and absolutely essentially we preserve our, our sense of identity and our hearts in that process while also making our uh, being people that are fighting for justice and fighting for the world that we believe Jesus is working towards. So thank you all again. I'm going to just bring us into a moment of prayer here uh, before we finish up this. Well, Jesus, <clears throat> I 100% guarantee every single person on this call can bring to mind a person, a place, a moment where hope was stolen from them because of an interaction with somebody they care about. Whether that person was challenging our identities or that person was just bringing in a perspective that feels fighting against the arc of justice, Lord. And I ask right now that you would bring comfort and peace to those of us who struggle with shame, comfort and peace for those of us that always feel like we should be doing more, always feel like we should be changing people's minds. Those of us who struggle with deep disappointment that we can't just convince everyone else around us and that you would speak deep affirmation of our identity, that you are loved and valuable into each one of our hearts and that you would break the power of lies spoken that would put that into question. And that you would help us 
walk a path of intentionality, of, of figuring out what are the expectations we can look for? What are the things we can look for? Walk the path of setting boundaries, boundaries that are dynamic and not the same for everybody, but dependent on who we are and our own traumas and our own injuries and our own identities. And that we would be quick to notice and celebrate the areas that we see positive change. Pray that in your name. Amen. <laughs>